0: Could you please introduce yourself for our listeners?
1: Um, my name is Aishan Dada korkut House. I'm a senior lecturer of urban and environmental planning in Griffith University. Um, I do a lot of research and teaching around climate change adaptation, and I have a particular focus recently on water resource management.
0: Yeah, so um, it's perfect timing uh, because we're having these... Uh, La Nina uh, rains, Um, but why is our dam still at just under 40%?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because I think people look at how much it's been raining lately and immediately think we should be out of trouble now. Mm. But those dams are really big and it's almost like it's the, you know, It takes quite a while for them to get filled when there's rain, and that's one part of the issue. But the bigger part of the issue is also there is a little bit of a mismatch in southeast Queensland in terms of where it rains versus where the dams are if people actually look at when it's raining in the rain radar and where the dams are, they will see that our biggest dam usually doesn't get that much rain. It's not in an area where it rains a lot. Mm. So it tends to rain more on the coastal areas but uh, Vivenho Dam is the largest dam in the region and it's about 50 percent of the water grid water storage capacity in Southeast Queensland and it gets the least amount of rain. Yeah. What we need to think about is how much water should be stored for how long? How many people? Yeah. So there's a really you know complicated formula here first. how many people are we serving and how many years of storage does that system needs to keep. And that's why when the um, levels go down, it's an issue it's not an issue maybe for this year but we don't know what next year is going to bring yes so I think a lot of your uh, the listeners probably will be remembering uh, the millennium drought yeah so I don't think anyone realized when the millennium drought started how long it was gonna go nobody expected for it to go for a whole decade yeah So I don't think in the beginning there was a lot of change in behavior or worrying about it or even planning uh, uh, and increasing storage capacity because it was always, it's going to rain next year, if not this year. And it kept going and going and it really reached crisis proportions towards the end of it because the end didn't seem to be in sight. And then really expensive projects were brought in. And as soon as those projects started, it started raining mm. and, you know, the drought broke and then people's focus shifted from it immediately.
0: Yeah. So, um, there's approximately like 3.8 million people in Southeast Queensland, um, at the moment, but that's going to almost double by 2050, that's they reckon.
1: That's right. That's right. So we're looking at, you know, in 20 year, plans we usually make 20 year plans and Southeast Queensland Regional plan uh, projects about five, five and a half million people in the you know, next 20 25 years yep. which means that we need even if the storage capacity we had today was sufficient for the people who live here today, we need to increase because population is increasing. But there's also a question mark whether that storage capacity is sufficient anymore, just because we don't know how long the droughts are going to last. With climate change, the droughts are going to be a more regular phenomenon. They are actually going to be uh, lasting longer, and which means that we need to just increase our storage capacity, maybe for not three, five years now, but we need to have enough water to keep us for 10 years if it doesn't rain for 10 years.
0: Again, yeah. Um, So this is a big part of your research, right? The resilience of um, our urban systems.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Um, So how can our urban systems become more resilient when the uh, changes that are going to be happening are so um, unpredictable?
1: Well, um, planning is all about trying to plan for the unpredictable. So there are certain things that are unpredictable in terms of, for example, we don't know when the next drought is going to hit. We don't know how severe it's going. We don't know how long it's going to last. But there are things we know and we can prepare for. We do know that there is going to be another drought. We do know one of the future droughts can be quite severe, as severe as the last one or worse. So we need to prepare. And there are some things we can do to prepare. And when I say V, that's a very broad V because there's a role for everyone in this. The governments need to do certain things. The private um, uh, developers and groups need to do certain things. Citizens can do a lot of things to increase their individual awareness, but collectively we, we all need to do many things to change how we do things. For example, it start, we need to really go to the basics. One of the basic things is how we plan our cities and how we build our buildings, for example. Mm-hmm. This needs to change. Right now, we're not building in a way that that acknowledges that there is this issue of water where, you know, Australia is in this position of extremes. We are either in floods cycles or we're in drought cycles. So it's like, you know, water is one of those things that's troublesome when there's too much of it. And it's also a problem when there's too little of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of oscillate in between these two and there isn't that much period where things are just exactly where we want it and how much we want it. So we need to prepare our cities at the same time to deal with both of these phenomena. and there are some things we can do to take advantage of the floods when they happen, for example, to keep that water, store that water and then use that water later when there's a need.
0: Instead of it just rushing out um, into the bay.
1: That's right, because what do we do for flood management? We just keep building bigger and bigger pipes and larger and larger channels to speedily take it out so yeah. that it doesn't flood. So that's, that's n-
0: one of, that's one of um, a, a particular problem with um, our flood management systems, because the 2011 flood and uh, obviously I could be totally wrong about this. It wasn't the highest flood that we've had but it was the flood with the most velocity?
1: Well, I think it's also, it doesn't necessarily have to be the highest flood to cause the most damage. Part of the thing is, for example, compared to the 1974 floods, uh, there was so much more development in Brisbane that didn't exist in 1974 that the areas that flooded were all developed areas. Mm. So there are those kind of changes we need to take into account. The other part of the thing is what causes floods mostly is impervious surfaces. So the more we bu- build on natural land, the more we are reducing its water holding capacity by paving over things and cutting trees that even hold water in there, you know, leaves, etc. Mm. So we're reducing this capacity that water still needs to go somewhere. If we take out where that water needs to go, it will go to somewhere we don't want it to go. So we can change the way we plan our cities. For example, uh, Dutch call it space for water. That's the name of their program. And they try to design their cities in a way where they can collect this water so it doesn't cause a flood, but show the water the space that it needs to collect so it doesn't go somewhere it's not wanted. Chinese have the sponge city concept. That's again, a very similar concept. In Australia, we are working with more the terms, uh, water sensitive urban design and water sensitive cities. So all our cities need to be designed to be more water sensitive. Can we
0: um, retroactively design our cities that way? Uh, I feel like uh, we're more reactive um, when it comes to any sort of adaptation.
1: Well I think that's a very good question. There are two aspects to this. We can absolutely change our rules and regulations and laws and planning acts to make sure that every new development reduces its impact in terms of causing flood. It's easier to do in new areas, by the way, but the problem is we already have very large developed areas. What do we do in these areas? Because mm. it's you know we can't just clean sweep them at once to rebuild them to be more water sensitive, but there's still a little bit of retrofitting that we can do. We can make them more resilient than they are today. So um, that's one of the things that we should be doing. But the way I want to tie this back to the original question, because we weren't necessarily talking about floods, is that water storage. Mm, so Sorry, should- I
0: go on tangents. <laughs>
1: No, that's all right. These are linked. So it shows how everybody is actually, everything is very much linked with each other. So the thing about the water sensitive urban design is one showing water where to go when we don't want it to to flood everywhere, but it also creates additional storage capacity. So when people think about water storage, we tend to think about large dams and centralized facilities. Mm -hmm. But um, in a lot of different uh, services including energy we are more moving towards uh, decentralized systems so the concept of water sensitive urban design we will still have our large dams but we will also have a lot of maybe detention ponds and retention ponds and more localized storage systems that can be used for gray water activities that we don't need to use potable water for example